fabulous to overhear, even with a little bit of snow on the ground. It's a wonderful day to praise the Lord. It's a fabulous day to talk to y'all. And we look forward to spending some time with you in word and in song. And as always, in silliness. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was unrehearsed, unscripted. Uh, yeah, that was unrehearsed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, we just add lit that stuff right off the top of our head. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, we got snow on the ground, like Rosalie said, but we're getting a melt. Yeah, from the sun. Not from the temperature. No, it's really cold. Yeah. But the sun is giving us a little bit of a melt today. Yeah. yeah. So we want to, like I said, spend some time with you. We look forward to this uh, time. And we're also going to read a chapter from Robert's book and um, all that sort of stuff. So <laughs> I don't want to forget what I'm supposed to be saying here. So I'm just kind of blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's get going. Yeah, okay. Today we're going to open the word to Matthew chapter 13. Okay. I'll wait while you get there. I'm there. Okay. Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 8. Mm, what do you think of this? Now, Jesus, you know, in, in this, there's a lot of places Jesus tell stories, parables mm -hmm. we call them, mm -hmm. and there's places where he said he didn't even preach except to tell stories, and that's all he did. All, sometimes when he preached, it's all he did. I can remember, it makes me think of, when I used to, I would, we pastored some churches, and I would preach and tell stories, and we had people complain about it. Well, all he does is tell stories, you know, we, we need more fire and brimstone. He's just telling stories up there. What's all that about? And, you know, I was just telling stories. There was, like, always a moral to the story. The story sort of always, like, highlighted something. You know, I was trying to be doing parables on my own there, but sometimes people just don't get it. Yeah. You know, and here Jesus starts out, he says, What do you make of this? That's what I just said. <laughs> a farmer planted seed. As he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the road, and birds ate it. Some fell in the gravel. It sprouted quickly, but didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds. As it came up, it was strangled by the weeds. Some fell on good earth and produced a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. Now the next verse is really it's outside of what I said, 3 through 8, this is verse 9, but it's very, very telling about this, this parable and all parables. It says, are you listening to this? Really listening? You know, there is a difference between listening and hearing. We hear everything. Listening takes a little more processing going on than just, because everything, we have all kinds of noise around us, white noise, yellow noise. <laughs> <laughs> Robert noise. <laughs> Green noise. <laughs> yeah. But listening and, and hearing are two different things. They certainly are. You know, we can, like you said, hear everything. You know, okay, now we're going to look at Matthew 18 through 23. Because, you know, parables, you, you have to get the point. You have to understand it. And like you said, are you listening? Are you really listening? Well, the apostles and the disciples... You know, they're two different groups. The apostles were the 12. The disciples were more than 100 people. And they they were right there all the time 
And most of the time, they just really didn't get it. You know, they didn't get it. So later, when they're alone together, he he says, study the Jesus is talking to him. He says, study the story of the farmer planting seed. When anyone hears news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in, it just remains on the surface. And so the evil one comes along and plucks it right out of that person's heart. This is the seed the farmer scattered on the road. The seed cast in the gravel, this is the person who hears and instantly responds with enthusiasm, but there is no soil of character. And so when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arises, there's nothing to show for it. The seed cast in the weeds is the person who hears the kingdom news, but weeds of worry and illusions about getting more and wanting everything under the sun strangle what was heard and nothing comes of it. The seed cast on good earth is the person who hears and takes in the news and then produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. You know, and I don't know about anyone else, but I've been a number of these types of seeds myself. I've experienced it in my life. Uh, you know, I was never really a believer. You know, I grew up, went to Sunday school. I've told this story on here many times, you know, never really got anything out of it and sort of just joked along and, and skipped out as soon as I could. You know, but there was a time right after my mother died, the night my mother died, as a matter of fact, uh, that's an experience I'll relate some other time, but later in that night, I remember I walked out into a cornfield all by myself, and I was just in the dark, it was late, it was maybe, you know, early morning hours, and I was all by myself, and uh, I was thinking about my mother and about her dying. And all of a sudden, I, I felt like I, I had a vision. And right across from me, the corn just disappeared, and there was a river. And my mother was standing on the other side of the river, and I was looking at her, and all she said was, it's all right. It's all right. And somehow I felt in my heart that she was with Jesus. And I mean, I, I was not a Christian. I was not religious at that time. I didn't, I didn't think in the terms of, well, Jesus this, Jesus that. But I saw that, and I just thought, she's with Jesus. And when I returned to my home, which was in another state, you know, I, I went there, and I started going to a church. And I felt better when I was there. And I felt like I was getting closer to God. And it was a ritualistic church, a stylistic, uh, ceremonial church. And I was there, and I wasn't really taking part in anything, but I was just going and listening and feeling better and feeling like I was involved. And then I went through a tremendous upheaval in my life. And when I came down on the other side, I was getting ready, to, right, right at the beginning of this new epoch in my life, I was getting ready to go to church, and all kinds of things happened that made me late for church. And because I was late, I didn't want to go. And after that, I just stopped going. And after that, 
I, I turned into the worst atheist and, and God-hater, God-ignorer that you could ever imagine. You know, and I was this seed that, that was planted and sprouted up, but had no depth, no Wither. character, withered yeah. as soon as anything got in the way. Yeah. You know, so I can look at these things and I can really relate, you know, because I was the, I was, first I was the seed that, the seed was planted. I went to Sunday school. People, I realized later, told me the gospel probably a hundred times. I just didn't even get it. Mm -hmm. Didn't hear it. Didn't anything, you know. I was the seed that the enemy came and took it away right away. Then I was the seed that sprouted, but as soon as anything happened, I was, I lost it, you know, and, and yeah. praise God. And I think that's the seed that many people have, that they'll get excited about the Lord, they'll get saved and, you know, get on fire for the Lord, and then something in their life happens, and that's it. It's all destroyed. And they'll even blame it on that. Yeah. 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 Could be. I, I think a lot of people go through these stages. I do those, too. Yeah. You know, and then, praise God, I believe I made it to the last seed because God planted the seed in my heart and it, it took root and, and have, has been nurtured now for 40-some years and has grown and, and become a harvest that I never even could have imagined. Right. You know, and uh, I just praise God that, that he keeps scattering that seed mm -hmm. you know and his seed you know is what it's the word, the word. let's i also want to add in matthew go to back to chapter 12 and and verses um 43 through 45 matthew 12 43 through 45 mm -hmm. and and because this is what happened you know, when I first started coming to the Lord, you know, when I first, after I had that vision and I went to the church and I was feeling better and I was starting to feel like closer to God and like things were going to start, you know, happening. He said, when a defiling evil spirit is expelled from someone, it drifts along through the desert looking for an oasis, some unsuspecting soul, it can be devil. When it doesn't find anyone, it says, I'll go back to my old haunt. On return, it finds the person spotlessly clean, but vacant. It then runs out and rounds up seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all come in, whooping it up. That person ends up far worse off than if he'd never gotten cleaned up in the first place. And that's what happened to me. I mean, I started to feel like things were getting better, like I was getting closer to God. And then when that little tiny hiccup stopped me and then kept me going, and I didn't go back. I'm not blaming it on that. I'm the one who didn't go back to church. I'm the one who didn't you know, continue to seek God. I'm the one. I wasn't reading the Bible or anything. I was just going to that church and feeling a little better when I was there. you know. But then when I fell backwards, I became worse than I ever was. I became more of an unbeliever, and, and I mean, I, I just got to be terrible as an atheist, just absolutely, absolutely just a reprobate. And every, every, every area of my life, I got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. You know, so I'm looking at these things and thinking that we not only learn through the Word, we learn because of the Word, and the word comes into us, is engrafted in us, 
And if we don't do that, if we don't fill ourselves with God's word, how do we expect to grow in God? You know, like people, some people say, I want God to tell me what to do. Well, are you reading what he already told you? <laughs> are you studying what he already said? You waiting for him to say something else? Yeah. <laughs> well, that is the case. Well, yeah, it is. But, you know, if if you don't read, you know, like what's already been said, how does it, why would he say something? I mean, and how would you recognize his voice? That's the whole thing, recognizing his voice. But, you know, you saying this reminds me of, a conversation we were having these past couple of days about addictions, uh-huh. you know, and that people get freed from their addictions and they go through whatever that might be, different programs to get freed of it, and how it just, some, for some people, it never takes, or it just doesn't take, and we deal with those people a lot, and um, that, that the you saying this reminded me of that, you know, they, the, they've opened the door for just a tiny bit to come in. And then it takes over. Right. And right. over and over and over and over and over and over again. How many how many folks have we worked with that go through I don't, every program they can possibly go through and end up still having addictions? And any alcoholic that knows they're an alcoholic, anyone who's ever been through that, knows that you get straight and you can be straight for sober for years. If you fall back, you're going to fall back further than you were before. Uh-huh. And that's, you know, like the seven other demons showing up. Right. And we've re- we have recently witnessed that very severely with some, some, peop- some friends, some people we know, you know, that uh, you just fall back. And I know myself, when I was an addict, you know, I would, when I, I would find myself, you know, I'd kick certain things because they were killing me, you know. But I would always go to another addiction. I just substituted one for another, for another, for another, for so many years in my life, you yeah. know. And and we see other people do that. Well, and there's more addictions than just alcohol and drugs. Oh yeah. Too addicted food. to food, addicted yeah. to gambling, yeah. addicted to shopping, whatever it is that becomes an because it becomes an addiction. It's the yeah. thing you have to do. And it becomes an idol. Correct. You know, and so. This is something, you know, and studying the parables of God, you know, there's one place where he says that all his parables work the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, all he's ever trying to do is, is show you what God is like right. and, and what happens to us if we follow him or don't follow him. Amen. You know, so uh, I've often thought, you know, it would be neat to have a book that was filled with nothing but the parables. And I'm sure they're out there somewhere. I just don't have one. But have a book that would have nothing but the parables of Christ in there, and just that you could just go through and study over and over his parables without having to beat your way through the whole Bible to find them. You know. Oh, I don't beat well, my way through. I don't beat no, but I mean, you know, I, I read progressively yes. through the Bible. Yes. You know, oh, here's a parable. Oh, there's a parable. Well, someone has put it together, I'm sure, because we've had books that are the miracles of Jesus. Yeah, or that, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm looking at some on the shelf behind you. <laughs> we probably got one up there, you know, the parables of Jesus. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, well, I wish we could get one. There's one right there. Let's go shopping at our bookshelf. Yeah. But anyhow, we wanted to share this with you today and um, encourage you to, to study the Word. Study the Word. Let the Word fill you. Let it fill you so much that when you open your mouth, God's word pours out. You don't have to quote it and say, well, James 75, 82 says this. Let the word come out. Yeah.
Amen. Let it permeate you. Amen. Amen. Now what? Now what? <laughs> now what? He's looking now, at me like I'm yeah, supposed to say I'm, something. I'm looking at her I guess like, I'm supposed yeah, she's to say supposed something. To. Okay, now we're going to talk about <laughs> introduction into something. Yeah. <laughs> We're, now we're going to listen to a song. Okay, we're gonna, we're that's gonna, it. We're going to go to Keep Your Eye on the Prize. Yeah, it's one of our homegrown songs. It's a fun one. It is. Hope you enjoy it. And, uh, you know, you could even play it over and over and over and play it and get to know it and sing it and maybe it'll catch on. You know, we love you and uh, hope you enjoy this song. Amen. Well, we hope you enjoyed that song. It's a fun one. We enjoy singing it, and um, it, the truth in it is the truth in it. <laughs> like we were talking before, keep your eye on the prize. So now we're going to move into, Robert's going to read a chapter for us from America's Trojan War. And we hope you enjoyed it too. Chapter 24, Four Assaults Become One Battle. 
inside a captured M1126 Stryker combat vehicle, Colonel Stamper was holding a meeting of his commanders. There was Lieutenant Colonel Huffy Smith, Stamper second in command. His company commanders, Captain Jim Grady, Company A, Captain Joe Kearns, Company B, Captain Muhammad Sharif, Company C. They were joined by Marine Major Jim Dalkins and a Navy First Lieutenant, Bob Nichols, of the SEALs, as well as Major Jim Halverson, the commander of the Apache attack wing. The officers were in the back of the striker, discussing how to proceed now that they had the perimeter under their control. There was still sniper fire and some concentrated fire coming from the buildings. However, once the terrorists started firing and their location was pinpointed by their own muzzle blast, fire from the Americans soon convinced them to switch locations. There didn't seem to be any coordination to the attack. The officers weighed first one course of action, then another. First Sergeant Julia Barnes, Stamper's communication tech, called to the vehicle intercom. Colonel Stamper, I've just received an urgent message from Major Jenkins back at Fort Hamilton. What is it? He said, by the order of the president, you have been promoted to Brigadier General and you are to assume command of the assaults currently underway at all four hospitals in D.C. I thought the president was dead. I asked Master Sergeant Welling about that, sir, and she said there's a new president that was sworn in out in Arizona. She was the most senior surviving cabinet secretary. She's a retired colonel named Patricia Parker. I know Patty Parker, said Major Jim Halverson. I served under her in the sandbox. She's one damn fine officer, and I never knew a woman or a man who was more kick-ass and take names when it came to facing the enemy. If she's the new president, we're going to see a 180-degree turn, and these ISIS assholes have some hard times on the way. Accepting the promotion and his new responsibility, as he always accepted any order, Stamper immediately began transitioning from what he had been doing to what he was now ordered to do. Is there any communication available from the other locations? I'll ask, said Sergeant Barnes. In a moment, she added, Yes, sir. Fort Hamilton has been able to contact the colonel commanding the assault on Walter Reed, but no one has been able to raise assault forces at the Virginia Hospital Center or at St. Elizabeth. Everyone in the striker knew Stamper needed a few moments to think, so they waited patiently, even as small arms continued to ricochet off the vehicle and the sounds of the ongoing battle reverberated in the metal shell. A gifted strategist as well as a tactical thinker with years of command experience, it didn't take Rick long to decide what to do. Huffy, I'm appointing you to command Delta Force and the combined operation here. Major Halverson, I need you and half your Apaches to come with me as I set up a unified command. Appoint your second in command to use the five remaining Apaches to provide ground support here under the overall command of Lieutenant Colonel Smith. Rising, Rick continued. Come on, Halverson. We have a four-pronged attack to coordinate. Men, I'm leaving this battle in your capable hands. Get in there and kill these bastards. Yes, sir, they all said at once as Rick and Major Halverson stood and left the striker. As soon as the two officers were gone, the remaining six went back to their plans for an assault on the buildings. They were soon joined by Captain Ron Rogers, the man left behind to command the Apaches. The officers decided that the best way to proceed was straight ahead. Assault the buildings now before the enemy had time to regroup. Huffy turned to Captain Rogers and said, Rogers, I want you to stand off with the Apaches. Keep the roofs free 
have spotters and snipers. We need you to target something. We'll let you know. Yes, sir, Rogers answered. As they were leaving the vehicle to return to their commands, Huffy added, keep your ears on. We need to keep each other aware of where everyone else is to avoid any friendly fire incidents and to make it easier to concentrate our forces if, when, and where we need them. Give me Delta signs when you're ready for the assault. It took about 20 minutes for everyone to get in place. Soon the radio announced, Delta Alpha, Delta Charlie. Then after a moment's delay, pregnant with anticipation, Delta Bravo, let's roll, Lieutenant Colonel Huffy, Bill Huffy Smith, called into the radio as he began what he knew would be the decisive command of his life, the final assault on the Adventist Hospital in Washington, D.C. Inside the hospital, Mohammed Abzak, the commander of Strike Force 2, was speaking to his second in command, Hussein Al-Kumar. Are the charges and booby traps all set? Yes, sir. Round up about 50 of the unbeliever whores who've been educated and run them into the enemy lines. Kill the rest of them. Send your men and have them kill all the patients. Yes, sir. Hussein answered, turning immediately to the communications tech to make sure the orders were went out. Well, Hussein, today will be a glorious day to offer our lives for the surface of service of the caliph and the glory of God. Yes, Muhammad. It seems like just yesterday we were boys in Kahan al-Sharif, dreaming of the day we could join the holy martyrs and strike a blow against the great Satan. I know, my brother, our families will be so proud when they hear the great victory we have been privileged to be a part of right here in the heart of Delta. Speaking now to the whole room, Muhammad Abzak, the commander of Strike Force 2, raised his voice and said, My brothers, Allah has chosen us to join his holy martyrs. This day we will join the brothers who have gone before us, and this day we will feast in paradise. Shouts of Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar filled the room as Muhammad continued. Today we have driven a stake into the heart of the great Satan. We have shown them that they are safe nowhere, that even here in their crusader capital, we can kill their people, desecrate their dead, and ravage their women. Soon they will grovel in total defeat before the feet of our caliph, as the sword of Islam severs the head of all unbelievers and heretics at the coming grand battle of Daria. Today, no one dies in vain. All die in glory. Once again, shouts of Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, filled the room. Kicking in doors, jumping through windows, dashing through holes in the walls from explosions, the combined Delta team, SEAL force, followed by hundreds of enraged police and armed citizens, stormed into the buildings that comprised the Adventist Hospital. The warriors inside were battle-hardened in hundreds of engagements, determined to make the Americans fight for every room and every foot of hallway, and they were dedicated to dying as martyrs for their caliph and for their god. It was slow going. Grenades were flying in both directions, and the sound of small arms fire was constant. Several times when they were blocked, a special ops team called in strikes from Apaches, which cleared rooms and shattered resistance until they got to the next intersecting corridor. Inch by inch, step by step, the Americans pushed the invaders back until they had cleared the first floor, and then they began fighting their way up the stairwells. Having moved the five Apaches and the Chinooks he had taken for his mobile command center a few blocks from the hospital, Colonel Sanders was connected to Colonel Johnson of the West Virginia National Guard, who was regrouping after his men had taken control of the perimeter at the Walter Reed Medical Center. Colonel Johnson, this is General Stamper. I've been appointed by the president to take over all command of the assault on the captured hospital. Looks like this new president means business, Johnson answered. Expecting to be questioned about the president, Stamper asked, how do you know about the new president? The two 
337th Command Aviation Brigade out of Bowling Air Force Base showed up, paved the way for our assault on Walter Reed. Third commander told me about the new president. Glad that he wouldn't have to go into any explanations to get his authority accepted. Stamper asked, what's your situation? We've taken the entire perimeter, taken out their Abrams and knocked their Apaches out of the air. Right now I'm waiting for the arrival of the 24th and the 11th Brigades of the West Virginia National Guard for reinforcements before we storm the buildings. Colonel, I don't know if you've been advised, but the West Virginia National Guard has been nationalized by the president. Yes, sir. General Corbain shared that intel with me a little while ago. Is that Crash Corbain you're talking about? Yes, sir, it is. I lost ta track of Crash when he retired. I didn't re realize he was even from West Virginia. Anyway, I see you have the situation well in hand. Listen, I don't care who is the senior officer out there out of those three brigade commanders who will be active at Walter Reed. You're the first man on the scene, and I'm appointing you to take command of all three brigades and clear those terrorists out of there. Knowing he wasn't the senior officer out of the three, he accepted the assignment but asked, if I have any pushback from the other brigade commanders, can I have them contact you, sir? Yes, of course, Johnson. You take command, and if anybody has any questions, you have them contact me. When he was done speaking with Colonel Johnson, Stamper told his communications tech to try every frequency possible to see if it could raise anyone at either the Virginia Hospital Center or St. Elizabeth. Moments later, the tech said, Colonel, I have a man on the horn using a ham radio who says he's in command of something called the Virginia Patriots who are assaulting the Virginia Medical Center. Put him through, Sergeant, Stamper said. This is General Stamper of the United States Army. Who am I speaking with? This is Mitch Williams, and I'm the leader of the Virginia Patriot Network. Mr. Williams, how many troops do you have? We arrived with a little over 2,000, and we picked up volunteers and police along the way. I would say we have probably 3,000 now. We're all armed and ready for the fight. Mr. Williams, are you a vet? Yes, sir. I retired after 20 years. What was your rank when you retired? I retired as a captain, sir. Not knowing whether or not he had the authority to do so, Stamper said, Captain, I'm reactivating you as of this moment. I'm giving you a field promotion to colonel and appointing you as the overall commander of the assault on the Virginia Hospital Center. I'll dispatch some Apaches to give you air support and anything else I can send. If anyone gives you any guff, tell them to contact me. Yes, sir, answered Mitch. As soon as the radio went silent, he returned to the business of leading the assault on the hospital building. Sergeant, have you reached anyone at St. Elizabeth? Yes, sir. On the police band, we've contacted the people assaulting that location. Who are they? asked Stamper. They're a group of citizens, police, and firemen, answered the contact. Is anyone in command there? Yes, sir. Elisa Edwards. She's with the Washington FD, and everyone there says she's in command. Get her on the horn, ordered General Stamper. Yes, sir, responded the contact. Hello, this is Elisa Edwards. Who am I speaking with? This is General Stamper, and I've been appointed by the president to take command of the assaults in Washington. I'm glad to hear the president made it out alive. This isn't President Obonio. He was killed in the first assault. This is the new President Parker. And she told me to take command of these assaults, and that's what I'm doing, answered the general. All right, general, what do we do? Ms. Edwards, are you a vet? Yes, sir. I was in the Air Force for 12 years as a fire tech. I served in the sandbox and the stand. All right, I'm calling you to active duty as of right now. I'm promoting you to the rank of colonel. I'm putting you in charge of the battle at St. Elizabeth. Is that understood, said Stamper? Yes, sir, but I was only an E-8. I don't care. You're a bird colonel now, and you're in command. I'll send everything your way as soon as I can. What's your situation on the ground now? Sir, we've taken most of the perimeter. Some Apaches showed up out of nowhere, took out the enemy's Abrams, and now we're into the buildings. Good work. Take the fight to these terrorists and 
wipe them out. We will, sir. Remember, Lisa, you're in command, reminded General Stamper, having coordinated all four assaults. Stamper broadcast an open call for any and all units of the United States military moving into or towards D.C. to contact him immediately. After almost a day of defeat and then of scattered responses, Finally, the combined might of the United States was preparing to fall like a ton of bricks on the ISIS invaders as they headed towards one battle for the capital. Thank you, Robert. Boy, it is really getting exciting, I gotta tell you. You know, I uh, edit his books, and when I'm editing them, I go like, oh my God, I can't believe he's doing this. Look what's <laughs> happening. And I can never say that to any other author, but I can say that to my husband. But thank you very much for that. We want to also let you know how you can purchase the books. You can go to Amazon. They're all on Amazon.com. Just put in America's Trojan War and Dr. Robert Owens. Click the search and it'll bring it right up. All you have to do is click on my name. It'll take you to my author's page. All of my more than 30 books are there. You can buy them one click, either Kindle or softcover. And read them. I think you'll like them. And... If you happen to be a library person, you don't like to buy books, you don't want them hanging around your house, you just want to go borrow from the library, request your library to bring those books in. And they will. Yes. They will. That's a great idea. Thank you very much. <laughs> Gosh. Wow. Wow. That is something go good. all way. <laughs> don't forget to contact us if you want. Go through the uh, contact button. Yeah, on our website, yes. which is itookarightturn.com. There's a contact button, and just click on there. There's a form to fill out. Yes. That'll come right to us. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. I took a